Amen. What a beautiful song. Thank you for that. Take your Bibles this morning, open to the book of Luke, chapter number one. Luke, chapter number one. Do want you to encourage you to be back this evening, uh, of course, for the Christmas program. And then next Sunday night, uh, we have uh, our candlelight service. And so uh, just encourage you to be here for those events and invite others to come for that as the gospel is, will be given and our prayer and our desire through those things that somebody would uh, know Christ as their Savior. And so I hope you'll be praying for those things and be back tonight. Luke chapter 1, will begin reading in verse number 5. The Bible says, There was in the days of Herod the king of Judea a certain priest named Zacharias and of the course of Abiah. And his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. And they had no child, because that Elizabeth was barren. And they both were now well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zacharias said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife well stricken in years. The angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God, and am sent to speak unto thee, and to show thee these glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb, and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. And the people waited for Zacharias, and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak unto them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. And it came to pass that as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. And after those days his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me, to take away my reproach among men. If you would jump down to verse number 57 with me. It says, Now Elizabeth's full time came that she should be delivered, and she brought forth a son. And her neighbors and her cousins heard how the Lord had showed great mercy upon her, and they rejoiced with her. And it came to pass on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they called him Zacharias, after the name of his father. And his mother answered and said, Not so, but he shall be called John. And they said unto her, There is none of thy kindred that is by this name. And they made signs to his father how he should have him called, and he asked for a writing tablet. And wrote, saying, His name is John. And they marveled all. Father, we do thank you that we can come this morning. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would just work through the message now. 
Lord, obviously, our prayer through the different programs that our church has is that uh, those would, who do not know Christ as their Savior would realize who Jesus is. Emmanuel, God with us. The Savior who is willing to come and to die on the cross for our sins. But Lord, even this morning, Lord, this morning there might be someone who does not know Jesus. Who do not know Emmanuel. They know the name, but they do not have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Father, I pray you'd speak to their heart this morning. Maybe somebody watching via live stream. Lord, I don't know who it might be. Lord, that you'd work in their hearts as only you can. Lord, just bless the message this morning. May use it to bring honor and glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Luke is the third gospel book in the four gospel records that we have, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. But Luke is the gospel writer who actually takes us to the, the earliest period of what we would call the New Testament. Many times we think of the New Testament as beginning with Jesus Christ or the birth of Jesus Christ, but Luke actually takes us before the birth of Jesus Christ to the birth of John the Baptist, where we find this passage that we read this morning about the angel Gabriel um, and how he appeared to Zechariah there in the temple. Um, it's been 400 years since Israel has heard from God. 400 years of silence. There's been no, there's been no open revelation from God. Yes, they still had the, the books, they still had the law, they still had the Torah, they still had the Psalms and these, but there was no, there's been no open revelation from God to Israel. Not since Malachi. Malachi being the last prophet. And no doubt, many had lost hope in the coming Messiah. It was, a, it was really a dark time for Israel because God had brought them back, brought them out of the bondage of the Medeal Persian Empire and the Babylonian Empire and now through Greece and all this, brought them back into their land, but there was still, they were still under bondage. They're still under the Roman rule. It's a very dark time for, for Israel. But I believe as we'll look through this passage this morning that even during the darkest of times, we can still find hope. And that's what I want to look at this, this morning, finding hope in the dark. Finding hope in the dark. I want us to look at a couple things this morning. Really, we're just going to look at two things uh, this morning. First of all, I want to look at the struggles. We're looking this morning at Zacharias and Elizabeth because here's this passage dealing with the birth of John, who we would know would be the forerunner of Jesus Christ. And of course, we know John the Baptist was prophesied in the Old Testament that there would come one who would be the forerunner of Jesus Christ that would go before him preparing the way for this coming king. And of course, this is where Luke begins, where uh, Matthew kind of begins with the birth of Jesus Christ, and Mark and John already kind of begin with Jesus in his ministry. But Luke comes not to the birth of Jesus Christ, but he comes to the birth of John, dealing with Zachariah and Elizabeth. And the first thing I want us to notice about Zachariah and Elizabeth this morning is their struggles. 
Notice, first of all, their struggles. There were several things that they had to deal with during this dark period of time. First of all, there was, there was political struggles. It says that they were, during this time, they were, of course, we know, and uh, if you go to Luke chapter 2, it talks about in the days of Herod the king, right? And uh, we know that they are under the Roman rule, but they were in Israel, but under this Roman oppression. Even Herod, referred to as Herod the Great, there were several different Herods, but this is Herod the Great, who was the king, was really more like a puppet for uh, for Rome and for Caesar than an actual king for, for Israel. In fact, Herod was not even an actual Jew. Um, Herod was, his father was an Idumean from south of Judea there, and this man had converted to Judaism, and his mother was a Hasmonean princess who was from the tribes of, uh, of the uh, Arabian Peninsula there. And so, Herod was really, they called him a half-Jew because his father, this Idumean, was, had converted to Judaism, but he wasn't really a, a true Jew in the eyes of the Jewish people themselves. He was really just kind of a, a half-Jew, but they really didn't even think of him as half-Jew. He was granted the title King of the Jews by the Roman Senate in 40 B.C. And when you think of this title that he was granted, that he really wanted, it makes sense why when the Magi come a little bit later and they say, where is he that is born and what is the title that they use? King of the Jews. Well, the problem was Herod said, that's my title. I got that title. That's mine. I'm the king of the Jews. And so when the, the Magi come and they're asking, where is he that is born king of the Jews? That really upset Herod because he had gotten that title in 40 B.C. No doubt he did do some good things uh, for Israel. Uh, during a famine, he relieved the nation by distributing food from his royal supply. Very kind of him. Uh, he did cut taxes twice and really tried to... Um, make himself look favorable in the eyes of the Jews, hoping that they would accept him as their king. And of course, the biggest way that he did this was even in trying, he proceeded to rebuild the temple that had been destroyed. In fact, his, his temple plans were so grand that it took almost 70 years, even after he had passed off uh, the scene, after he dies, it took 70 years to, to fulfill his plans and, and, uh, and how he had built the temple. And Herod was, a, he was really an architectural genius. Um, you look at some of the things that he built around Israel, Masada, and you look at uh, uh, several places that he built. He, was really, he had a knack for, for building, and so he had planned to build this, this grand temple um, and hoping that this would set him good in the eyes of the Jews. The only problem is that Herod was a very cruel man. Historians tell us they paint a picture of him as a cruel tyrant, really a maniac who suffered from personality disorder. In fact, so drastic were, were his measures that even his own family was not safe. Not only was he concerned about Rome and trying to appease Rome while at the same time trying to appease the Jews, but 
uh, even his own family was in danger. This woman that he married, Miriam, who was the princess of the Hasmonean, uh, he caught wind that she and her mother-in-law and grandfather were actually, uh, he thought that they were in a conspiracy to overthrow him, and so he killed them. Killed his own wife. Killed his mother-in-law. Killed his, her, her, her father, grandfather. In fact, not only did he even kill his own wife and mother-in-law, but later he even executed two of his own sons for fear of overthrowing him. This was the type of government that was in place. You had the Romans who were already oppressing Israel and, and treated the people poorly. And then now you've got Herod as well who is trying to, he's trying to get the favor of the people, but yet he's very cruel, he's very tyrannical in, in, in what he is doing. In fact, it was said by the Roman governor Augustus, it is better to be Herod's pig than his son. Because, of course, Herod being a Jew could not have pigs, right? Can you imagine that? That's your legacy. It's better to be Herod's pig than his own son. This was the type of man that they were dealing with. There were very political struggles that were taking place. May I say, secondly, there were religious struggles. We find... Out of all of those in Israel, we find the, the, the temple being rebuilt, and we do find, as we find Zacharias here, Zacharias was a priest. He was one of the priests. And out of all of those in Israel, out of all the Levites, out of all the priests that were there, and there were, there were hundreds and hundreds of them, God sends his angel to one man named Zacharias. He was the, the priest that would go into the, the holy place of the temple, not the holy of holies. Remember the, the, the temple, the, the tabernacle, the temple, there were two sections of it. There was the larger room that you would enter first that was called the holy place where you had the table of showbread and the golden candlesticks and this golden uh, altar of incense. And then right after the golden altar of incense, there was this curtain that separated the two rooms. And the next room was much smaller, and it was called the Holy of Holies. It was in the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was what was referred to as the mercy seat. And of course, in the Ark of the Covenant were uh, the, the tables uh, of the law that God had given and Aaron's uh, rod that had budded and some of the, the manna they had kept. And so no one was able to allow to go into the Holy of Holies except once a year, and that was the high priest. But the, the, the other priests would be able to go into the, the first room, the holy place, and they would be able to minister with the table of showbread and, and the golden candlesticks. But the, the golden altar of incense was something that was, it was very special. This was a tremendous blessing because a priest could only offer incense on the golden altar once in his lifetime. Only one time. Would the priest be allowed to offer the incense on the golden altar? Remember, that golden altar was right before the curtain that was basically the presence of God on the other side. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was, the mercy seat. And so once in a priest's lifetime, they were allowed to offer 
incense on the golden altar. In fact, many priests went their entire lives without ever being able to do this. And so for Zechariah to have this privilege, this was a great blessing to Zechariah. This was something that was very special for him to be able to offer this incense on the golden altar. Really, as a priest, this would have been the most important moment in his life as a priest. The priests, we understand, were divided up into 24 different groups. David, back in 2 Chronicles, or excuse me, 1 Chronicles chapter 24, explains how he divides the order of the priests into 24 different groups. And then each division would basically be on duty twice a year. They would have a, a, a specific duty that they would do twice a year, and they would come for one week, and they would spend that one week performing those certain duties that they were to do around the temple. Again, there were, there, were, there were hundreds, there were thousands of priests. And so they divided it up into these 24 groups and, and twice a year you would come and you would have to stay there for a week and perform the duties that were there. And so this was one of those times that Zacharias uh, came from the hill country. He was really just kind of a, a, a priest, basically kind of from the, from, the, from the sticks. He wasn't from Jerusalem. In fact, they were just kind of from the hill country. And so Zechariah comes and, and he's, he's taking this, this great blessing in being able to offer the, the incense on this golden altar. But yet, what do we find during this time? Even though the temple was there, even though the priests were there, the sacrifices were there, all the things that God had instituted to Moses back in, in, on Mount Sinai about how the, the priests would do different things and the different sacrifices and all of this, all of this was taking place all of it was there, but there was one thing that was missing. One thing was missing during Zechariah's day, during all of this religion. You've got the, the, the political struggles, but there were some religious struggles as well. Even though the temple and the sacrifices and the priests and, and the order and everything was there, something was missing. One thing was missing. Really, we could say the most important thing. God. God was missing. So how could God be missing if they had, to, if they had the temple and, and they, they, had, they had put something in, the, uh, in the, the Holy of Holies to represent the Ark of the Covenant and they had the temple veil and, and they had the golden altar of incense and they had the table of showbread and the golden candlesticks and, and they had the, the, the brazen altar outside and all these different... If they, were, if they were doing all the things that God had told them to do in the Old Testament and the temple was there and the priests were there and the sacrifices were there, how could God be missing because it's not about rituals you see that religion had become rituals all they were doing were the rituals you look at what is taking place in Israel even with all of these things God was nowhere to be found think about this 400 years of silence from God Where is God? In fact, it was during this time that even Israel, before this, there were no Pharisees, there were no Sadducees. We did not have the Sanhedrin. What did they do? They tried to make a religious system 
according to what they wanted and to try to please God. But the problem was God was nowhere to be found. They had a religious system, but the problem was they did not have God. They made a religious system with God's name without God. You say, well, how do you know this? Well, just read the interactions of Jesus and the religious leaders. You go through and you read the interactions all through the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. They literally did not know God when he was standing right in front of them. They literally, when all the miracles and all the teachings and everything that Jesus is trying to teach them, he is literally God standing in front of them, and they had no clue who he was. In fact, they wanted to kill him. That was what they wanted to do, friend, with God. They didn't want God. They wanted a ritual. They didn't want God. They wanted a religious system that they could just do themselves, and they cared nothing about God. That's why the Pharisee could stand up in the temple and say, Oh, God, I thank you that I'm not like this sinner over here. Look at all that I have done. Look at how I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I possess and, and I give alms to the poor. And man, I'm not like that wicked old guy over there. This was the religious leaders. The religious leaders, one of the, probably one of the Sanhedrin named Nicodemus who had to come to Jesus by night and say, how do I get saved? Master, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. And Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus says, What are you talking about? He had no clue. Imagine the religious struggles that Zechariah and Elizabeth are going through. I mean, think about this. Look in verse number 16 and 17. And many, and this is, what, this is what the angel is saying about John who's going to come. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the, the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. You know why John was to come? To prepare them for the Lord because they weren't ready. Why did John come? To help them to turn their hearts back to their God. Look, you can have a religious system and you can do all the rituals, but it doesn't get you any closer to God. There's people sitting in churches all over today. They're going through religious rituals and they are no closer to God than a lost person that is laying home in bed today. Rituals do not have us make us to have a relationship with God. And this was the time that Zacharias and Elizabeth were living in. Why would Israel need to turn back to God through John if they were already following him? They cared nothing about God. Religious struggles. You have the political struggles. But notice third, there were personal struggles. There were personal struggles that they had to endure. No doubt the blessing of God was expected on this couple. Zechariah was a priest. 
the priests were expected to have the blessing of God upon them. They were the priests. Not only was Zechariah a priest, and we know that he was of the, as he tells us, he's of the tribe of Abiathar. So he was, he was of those 24 groups. If you go back to 1 Chronicles and you read, he was, the, he was part of the eighth group. He was part of the eighth group, one of the eighth group that would be able to go and do this. So the blessing of God was, was no doubt expected upon their, their lives because not only was Zacharias uh, a, a priest and from the, the lineage of, uh, of, of Aaron, but Elizabeth, Elizabeth was, was the daughter of a priest. So you have Zacharias who was a priest and then he marries Elizabeth who is the daughter of a priest. To have a, a priestly lineage was a special blessing. The priests did not have to marry daughters of the priests. The Bible just tells us they were, they, all they had to do was marry virgins. But they, it didn't have to be of the, of the, of the Levites. So for, for Zacharias, who was a priest, to be able to marry a, a, a woman whose father was a priest as well. There, there, this was a special blessing in their life. And no doubt as people looked at them, they think, man, Zachariah is a priest. Elizabeth is the daughter of a priest. Man, God is really going to bless their marriage. They're going to have a great marriage and God is going to bless them. There was only one problem. They didn't have any children. Now, in our society, we don't really understand why that was such a big deal. In our, when we read through that, they're like, oh, they didn't have any kids. And that's, that's not a big deal. I mean, there's lots of people today that don't have kids. But not in this culture. Not in this society. You see, not to have a child to many was as if God had cursed you. Again, Please understand, if you're here this morning and, and you don't have children, I'm not saying that God has cursed you. That's not what I'm saying. But that's how they looked at it in this day. To not have a child meant that God's blessing was not upon your life. There was something wrong with you, right? So here you have Zechariah, who is a priest, and man, they're thinking, hey, Zechariah is a priest, and he's of the tribe of Abiathar, and now he marries Elizabeth, who is the daughter of a priest. Man, God is surely going to bless this marriage, and then no, no children come along. People begin to step back and wonder, what's going on here? We expected blessings, yet there's no children. Have they sinned? Is there something wrong? What is, what is happening here? Again, it's not like in our day today where people, you know, people sometimes they just get too busy. We're just too busy to have children. Or when people don't want children and, and unfortunately even some are even aborted. This was not, this is a completely different society. In these days, this was significant. Again, notice how serious this was in her own words. These are Elizabeth's words. Look in verse number 25. Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me to take away my reproach among men. That's what Elizabeth said. God has finally looked upon me to take away my reproach. You know what the word reproach means? It means disgrace. Disgraced. Here was a priest who had married the daughter of a priest, and they were expected to have the blessings of God, but instead they had no children, and now in their own eyes to those around, they were disgraced. 
You think they didn't have problems that they were going through? You don't think things were kind of dark in those days for them? I mean, you've got the government struggles, the political struggles with Rome and, 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 and Herod. You've got the, the religious struggles. You've got just a religious system that is full of rituals that cares nothing about God. You've got personal struggles. There's family problems here. Look, no doubt, maybe early on in the marriage, maybe this even caused some, some fighting why, why can't we have children? Why is God not blessing us with children? I mean, Zacharias, you're a priest. Elizabeth, you're the daughter of the priest. What have we done? Why has God not blessed us with a child? And the disgrace that they endured, the darkness that they were in. We think, going all through this, how could they have hope? How could they have hope in the darkness with the political struggles and the religious struggles and their personal struggles? Friend, may I say maybe this morning, maybe you're going through some struggles. Maybe you're going through some struggles. Oh, it may not be political. I, I don't, I mean, we've got political problems, but not quite like what they had. We're not in bondage to anybody. We have the freedom to even come and worship like what we've done today. We're not in bondage. Maybe it's religious struggles. Maybe you're caught. Maybe you're trapped in a religious system that is all about rituals. Maybe you're struggling with that. You're not sure which way to turn. Oh, all the rituals, you know, there's nothing. Again, the temple was there. The sacrifices were there. The priests were there. Everything that God had said was there. The problem was God wasn't. Maybe you're trapped in a religious system that's doing all the things that might seem right. The problem is God's just not there. Maybe it's some personal struggles. Maybe some home struggles. Maybe, maybe your marriage. Maybe, maybe, maybe like Zacharias and Elizabeth, maybe there, there's some things going on in your marriage that maybe nobody else knows about. There's some struggles there. Maybe it's family struggles. Maybe you're struggling at your job. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's health. We don't, I don't know what the struggles are. But you're going through these things. You're like, God, I just don't see any, I just don't see any hope in this darkness. There's just, there's just so much. When we look around, there's just so much darkness. And God, I mean, even when we come to Christmas time, right? We can come to Christmas and where it's supposed to all be about Jesus. But yet there's just so many struggles and things that we're going through. We're just like, God, I just, I just don't have any hope. I just don't see any light through this. Well, maybe I can encourage you this morning through the life of Zacharias and Elizabeth. Because I want you to notice the second thing. Not only do we find the, their struggles, but notice their blessing. Their blessing. Their blessing, again, I think we all know the story. We read the story. We know that God is going to give them the, John the Baptist, right? And, uh, and, and he comes to Zechariah there while he's performing his priestly duties and, and offering the incense. And he tells them that they're going to have a son. And we know the story. John is, is struck down with deafness and he's not able to, to speak and he's not able to hear. And he's, and he's going through. And, uh, and, and then for, for, for nine months, Elizabeth finally has the child and they're going to name him uh, Zechariah after the father and they're thinking man here's God's blessing and so let's name him after Zechariah and he says no his name is going to be John we know the story but their blessing did not come just through a child 
Their blessing came because of God's faithfulness. And can I say this morning, you might be going through a struggle, you might be going through something that nobody else knows about, but can I encourage you this morning, God can still bless your life because God is faithful. God is faithful. It was God's faithfulness. It, it, this is really interesting. The name Zechariah means God remembers. And the name Elizabeth means his oath. Was it just coincidence that this man named Zechariah, who was a priest, married Elizabeth, who was the daughter of the priest, and God brought them together in marriage, and that their name means God remembers his oath? Is that just a coincidence? <laughs> I don't think so. Why? Because God is faithful. Even though for 400 years there had been silence from God, it didn't mean God had forsaken them. And friend, you may be going through a period of life where you just feel like God just doesn't care about you. God just doesn't. It's like you're not getting anything from God. Maybe you're reading the Bible. Maybe you're coming to church. Maybe you're singing the songs. It's just like there's nothing coming from God. Friend, let me tell you something. God is faithful. And it may not seem like God is there. It may not seem like God is listening or that God cares. But let me tell you something. God remembers his oath. God is faithful. God remembered his oath that he had made to Israel. God remembered it. And God says, I want you to know that I'm faithful that I remember my oath. What oath? Well, when you go back to Psalms chapter 89, we don't have time to, to turn there, but in Psalms chapter 89, verses 34 through 37, God swore that one of David's descendants would have an eternal throne. And God had promised that the Messiah would come. And they were waiting, they were looking, and even through all these years of, of history of Israel, the Messiah had never come. But God said, hey, let me tell you something. Even though it's been a couple thousand years, and even though I haven't, I haven't revealed anything for 400 years, even though there's a darkness here, let me tell you something. I remember exactly what I promised. God remembered his oath, and through them, through Zechariah and Elizabeth, God would bring in the forerunner of the Messiah. God was going to bless them in such a way that they had no idea. And let me tell you something. Maybe at the beginning when they were maybe arguing and bickering, saying, why can't we have a child? And crying out to God and saying, God, why can't we have a child? And they would have wanted a child right then. They had no idea the blessing that God had for them if they would just trust him. God was faithful. God had promised that he would send the deliverer. And God promised that there would be one who would go before the deliverer. And that would be John. Aren't you glad that God is faithful? Aren't you thankful for God's faithfulness? Let me tell you something. God says in Numbers chapter 23 and verse number 9, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken and shall he not make it good? Let me tell you something. When God says something, you can take it to the bank. It's exactly what's going to happen. You say, well, I know God said that he, Jesus is going to come back, but you just look at it. It's been 2,000 years, and you look where our society is headed, and it looks like, man, there's just all kinds of, uh, of political struggles, and, and, man, there's religious struggle everywhere, and there's personal struggles, and, and it's just so dark. Hey, friend, God said he's going to send his son back, and that's exactly what he means. One day Jesus Christ is going to return. Why? Because God is faithful. God remembers his oath. 
Romans chapter 3 and verse number 3, For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? Just because you don't believe it doesn't change what God said. I love that. Just because you don't believe it, that doesn't mean that God's going to change what he said he's going to do. You know what God says? I don't care whether you believe it or not. It's going to happen. God said, I don't care if you believe whether I'm going to send the Messiah or not. I'm going to do it. And he did. God said, I don't care whether you believe Jesus is coming back or not. Whether you believe it or not, it's going to happen. Your belief does, or disbelief does not change what God's word says. It's still true because God is faithful. In Lamentations chapter 3, verses 21 through 23, he says, This I recall to my mind. Therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies we are not consumed. Because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Can I tell you something? If for no other reason to have hope in the darkness, we can have hope because God is faithful. We can have hope because God is faithful. Look, it doesn't matter what's going on politically. It doesn't matter. God's still faithful. You say, well, you know, I just don't see what's, I don't understand what's going on with Israel, and I don't understand what's going on with America, and I don't understand what's going on with the world. You don't have to understand it all. Understand this, God is faithful. God is faithful. You say, well, I don't understand what's going on with the religion. It just seems like religion these days, there's, there's so many different religions, and, and it's so confusing, and it just doesn't seem like people really care about God. Hey, it doesn't matter about religion. Let me tell you something. God is faithful. God's faithful. Pastor, you don't understand the problems that I have in my marriage. It feels like my marriage is about to fall apart. Uh, you don't understand what's going on with my kids and my job and our finances. And, hey, friend, it doesn't matter. God is faithful. He's faithful. No matter what you're going through, there is hope in the dark because God is faithful. May I say, secondly, their blessing came not because of, only because of God's faithfulness, but their blessing came because of their faithfulness their faithfulness for years they had seen the oppression of their people they saw what Rome was doing they saw what Herod was doing and they stayed faithful they stayed faithful they saw what the religious system was like I can't imagine what Zachariah must have have been thinking looking at the religious system of the day, no doubt recognizing that it was not what it should have been. But not allowing the religious system to keep him from being faithful to God. He was faithful. They stayed faithful when the religious system forgot about God. They stayed faithful through the oppression of their people. They were faithful even when God did not answer their prayer in giving them a child. Would you stay faithful? Would you stay faithful? We look at our political situation and we're just like, well, we just give up. We just hope the Lord comes back. Well, look, I hope the Lord comes back too, but why are you giving up? Why do you give up? Don't you understand that Jesus 
The Savior of the world came during the darkest time. Why would we want to give up during the darkest time? It's a perfect opportunity to be able to be the light that we need to be in the world. Many have looked at the failing religious system and give up. Oh, there's just so many hypocrites in the religious system. Yep, there is. A lot of hypocrisy. Do we just give up? Or do we stay faithful? You know, some have even said, well, I'm just, not, I'm just going to give up because God didn't answer my prayer. I prayed, I asked God for this, and God didn't do it when I asked him to. So you're just going to give up? You're just going to quit? Because God didn't do it when you wanted him to do it? I'm glad Zachariah and Elizabeth didn't quit. They had prayed. No doubt, as a young, as a young couple, they must have prayed and begged God for a child. Here was the priest. Here was the daughter of a priest. They expected God's blessing. Who knows? Maybe they were, maybe they're counting on having 10 kids. I don't know. Not one. And they continued praying, God, maybe it's not going to be 10, but God, maybe, maybe we could just have a family. Maybe we could have five kids. Not one. And as the years go by, God, I, I, can you just imagine, you ladies, put yourself in Elizabeth's shoes. The desire to have a child so bad and yet God, as you're praying and, and you're getting a little bit older, you're realizing your time is going and having children and, and God, if you just give me one, God, just give me one child. I, I don't need the family of ten anymore. God, just give me one. Nothing happens. Husbands, put yourself in Zachariah's shoes. God, what's going on? Is it me? God, have I done something? I mean, I'm supposed to be the leader of the home. I'm supposed to be leading this home. God, what have I done? Why, why, are, why are we not blessed by you? Hearing his wife cry, weep, begging God. There's nothing he can do about it. But yet they stayed faithful. They stayed faithful to God. They kept trusting God, even though God did not answer exactly when they wanted and they thought it was over. They said, there's no way we're ever going to have a child again. God has not answered our prayer. They kept going. They were faithful to God. Think about what, what this said here. Again, think about it. He says in, in, in verse number 12, and when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, fear not, Zechariah, for thy prayer is heard. And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. The angel said, hey, Zachariah, let me tell you something. God did hear your prayers. God knew what you were praying. God saw your hurt. God saw your crying. God saw your weeping. God saw that. He knew exactly what was going on, and you stayed faithful to him through it all. It wasn't that God didn't hear. It was God had something amazing planned for them. You see, we think we want God to answer now the way we want it because we think we know what is best for us. And God said, hey, Zachariah, Elizabeth, I'm not going to give you a child right now when you're younger. I'm not going to give you many children. In fact, I'm going to wait till you think you can't even have any children. And Zachariah says, hey, I'm old. She's past the time of childbearing. There is no way we can have a child. God says, watch this. Not just any child. 
forerunner of the Messiah, the one who would go before the very Messiah, the one who would go before the Son of God, prepare ye the way of the Lord. God said, that's what I've got planned for you, Zechariah. That's what I've got planned for you, Elizabeth. Did they understand it when they were young? No. Did they understand it when they were middle-aged? No. Did they understand it when Zechariah was in the temple offering his, the, the incense to God? He said, and the, Gabriel, Gabriel says, hey, you're going to have a there, Sorry, Gabriel, you got the wrong Zechariah. Can't be us. We're too old. Gabriel says, oh, no, I got the right Zechariah. Because God doesn't make a mistake. And God didn't make a mistake with you either, Zechariah. God waited for you to have a special child. And friend, can I tell you, in your life, whatever you're going through, God hasn't made a mistake. You may not understand it now. And you may think that there is darkness, and you may think that there's no light, you may think there's no hope. But let me tell you something. God is faithful. And here's what God wants you to do. Be faithful. Be faithful. They were faithful to God during the darkest times of their life. And because of their faithfulness, God blessed them. God watched how they stood faithful and he blessed them with a child. His name would be called John. You know what the name John means? The Lord is gracious. The Lord is gracious. You see, it was their walk that commended their belief. It wasn't just their talk. No, no, no. They walked in exactly what God wanted them to do. Look in verse number 6. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. Why were they, why were they faithful to God? Why were they obedient to God? And friend, let me tell you, it wasn't their obedience that made them righteous. No, no, no. But why were they obedient? Why were they walking in all the commandments and the ordinance of God? Why? Because of their faith. They believed God. The walk simply commended what was in the inside, their belief. You know what's sad? Is there are many Christians showing by the way they live their life, that they don't trust God. Oh, but wait a minute. I, oh, Pastor, no, I trust God. I trust God. I tr we can say that as much as we want, but here's the thing. The way we live shows whether that's true or not. The way they lived showed their belief that God was faithful. The way they lived Hey, it was dark. It was a difficult time during the whole Roman oppression and Herod and the religious system and the struggles they went to. But they said, God, none of those things matter. We know that you are faithful and we're going to trust you and we're going to keep on walking. We're going to keep on be believing you. And God saw what they were doing and said, hey, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for someone that even through the darkest of times will still be faithful and will still trust me. And that's the one I want to bless. God blessed them, gave them a son by the name of John. Can I tell you this morning, God calls people who are faithfully doing their daily tasks. You understand that John wasn't, or uh, Zachariah wasn't anything special. 
there were hundreds of priests, thousands of priests. Why Zechariah? Why Elizabeth? They were simply doing their daily task. They knew what God wanted them to do on a daily basis, and they did it. He was faithful as a priest, faithful as a husband, faithful as a, as a Jew, just simply doing his daily duties, trusting God. God says, I'll take that man. Think about it. David was called when he defeated a giant? No. When he was keeping sheep. His daily job. Keep the sheep. Gideon was called when he defeated the enemy? No. When he was threshing wheat. Just a daily mundane task. Peter was called after he preached to 5,000 people? No. Peter was called when he was mending his nets. Just a daily, mundane task. But here's the thing. If you aren't willing to do something, don't expect God to do anything. If we're not willing to at least do something for God, how can we really expect a God to do anything with us? Look, you don't have to be the preacher. You don't have to be the missionary. You don't have to be a deacon. You don't have to be some. Why don't you just faithfully do day in and day out what you know God has called you to do? Faithfully be that husband that you know God wants you to be. Faithfully be that wife that you know God wants you to be. Young people, faithfully be the children that God wants you to be. Faithfully be that employer at your job that God has placed you at. Faithful in just the daily tasks that you know God wants you to do. Let God take care of the rest. You just be faithful to what God's told you to do. That's what Zachariah did. They were just faithful. They knew God was faithful. And even during the darkest times, they were just going to trust God and keep following and trusting him. And look what God did. Is there light in darkness? Well, that depends on you. It depends on you and me. We know Jesus is the light of the world. But are we going to follow him? Are we going to trust him? Are we going to be faithful to him? So that we too can be that light that others can see? So they can see what God wants in their life? Man, what a great opportunity, Christmas time. It's dark. The world is in darkness. People are struggling financially, emotionally, all, all kinds of struggles. Why don't we show them that there is hope even in the darkest of times? Father, I pray you'd help us this morning. Lord, would you work in our hearts that even through the darkness, there is hope. Not in a religious system, not in a political system, but Lord in Jesus Christ. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, no one looking about this morning.
Friend, maybe you're here, or maybe you're watching via live stream. You say, Pastor, I'm not sure if I'm saved. I'm not sure if I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I've been religious. I've followed religious rituals. But I don't know if I know Jesus personally. I don't know if I've ever accepted Jesus to be my Savior. You say, Pastor, that's me. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I'm saved. I would like to know how to be saved. I would like to know how I can know Jesus on a personal level and have a relationship with him. Friend, nobody else is looking about. But if you say, that's me, that's you this morning, I'm not going to embarrass you, I'm not going to come to you, but I would like to pray for you this morning. Would you just slip your hand up and put it right back down and say, Pastor, that's me, I'm not sure if I'm saved. Just slip it up and put it right back down. Nobody else is looking about. Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm not sure if I'm saved. And Christian can ask you, look, I don't know what's going on in your life. Maybe there's some struggles. Maybe it's some personal struggles. Maybe it's at the job or maybe it's financially or maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's in your home. I, I don't know. But maybe you felt like there is no hope anymore. It's just too dark, and there's no hope. Friend, can I tell you, God is faithful. He knows where you're at. He knows what you're going through. He's faithful. Will you trust Him? Will you be faithful to Him? And just keep doing what you know that God wants you to do. Just keep trusting Him day in and day out. Let him take care of the struggles. Let him take care of the problems. You just keep following him. And let others see your faith is real. Let others see that how you live is because of what you believe. And follow him. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let's just stand quietly to our feet this morning. The piano is just going to begin to play softly. Friend, maybe God is speaking to your heart about something. Maybe there's something this morning you need to pray about.